Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With the third pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New York Knicks select R.J. Barrett. Welcome, beautiful people, fantastic human beings, Twitterers, non-Twitterers alike. It's me, your boy, Prez, and I'm here with you for the 34th episode of Draft Strickland, and we have a special guest to tackle a special topic. Um, It's the homie DJ, who you may know on Twitter from his handle, at Ace underscore Zulo, Z-U-L-L-O. He's uh, a great follow if you're into draft coverage, if you're into very, very specific mechanical details of shooting and other basketball movements. If you're a Knicks fan, um, give this man a follow. It's good stuff. And uh, yeah, DJ, how you doing? Yo, man, it's an honor, a pleasure to be on with you. Um, I I got the um, privilege last year to be a, a guest on your uh, mock draft that yes. you guys put through for the um so just to have a taste of it then and then to be a, an official <laughs> full guest today i mean it's like it's the dream so thank you so much for having me you want to do the mock again this year yeah man I that was, was fun i, I was love talking that. to alex um alex wolf mm-hmm. esteemed editor-in-chief slash dictator-in-chief of the strickland <laughs> and we were planning out the rest of our stuff between now and the draft time and we both agreed that that draft was completely insane and we need to do another one <laughs> yeah we had da- we had davy on a little too low though did he, i think he may have gone did he go in the first round i don't Mitchell? know dude there was like <laughs> uh, tyrese and stacy had a trade where it was like sga and like five four picks for Cade or something it was yeah. completely off the rails by like the fourth pick and well- well, you and Schwinn kept it together. So I, I give you guys credit because I was like, I don't know how you guys are managing this chaos right now, but it. I listened back to it and it was like, all right, I if I was not <laughs> in it, I could follow along on this. So there's kudos no, to you guys. There's no managing. It's just <laughs> just letting the chaos flow. I, yeah. I, hate, I hate participating in mock drafts because to me it's like, there's literally no relation to reality. People would just right. like do whatever the fuck they want. But it is entertaining. So like I can see why people enjoy it. And as long as my job is not to be one of the drafting teams and I can moderate and just like shit talk, I am a happy camper. So I told Alex, like, we'll recruit some people and me and Schwinn will moderate again and uh, we'll go back to the same formula. So um, I have no idea what t- when we'll do that. But uh, stay tuned, listeners, because we're definitely going to do that. We're going to do the, the we're going to do a live on spaces and then turn it into a pod. And it should be a lot of fun, probably like. In the week before the draft, which is alarmingly close. It's like a month away. Yeah. I didn't realize that until yesterday. Um, I thought I had more time to write stuff. And I don't, as usual. 
So womp womp. Before we get started, I would like to announce the Strickland does have a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. It has many tiers. A six dollar tier. That gets you access to this podcast every Friday that I do with Prez, Pod Strickland. Uh, you also get access to the mailbag that I do every other week with Jeremy and Drew. Furthermore, you get access to the Strickland Discord where we talk about the Knicks all the time, 24-7. Uh, there's live game chats. It's a fun time. Uh, there's further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to weekly articles by the wonderful Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best Knicks writers in the business. You also will get access to my solo podcast, Strick and Roll, uh, where I yell about the Knicks quite a bit, uh, even more if that's something that you're interested in. Uh, there's further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and a $100 tier. Those get you access to a variety of further things like merchandise discounts, live watch parties, listening in on podcast recordings, even potentially hosting a podcast yourself alongside us one day. But whether you choose to subscribe or not, None of this would be possible without you. Your support is appreciated. And without further ado, let's talk about the New York Knickerbockers. Um, but yeah, so the question that we're here to tackle is one that is near and dear to my heart. Um, I have a belief, and I'm curious what you think about this, um, that not every prospect is destined to be what we see them become. And I think... There's like a zillion factors, the least of which is like, you know, what team you go to and how that coach in front office utilizes you and, you know, how is the team's physical conditioning, like what's going on in their personal life. There could be all sorts of shit that change, uh, you know, what a what a kid, what a young man turns into really, right, on and off the court. So um, I always think about like with the Knicks prospects, but with any really, like what what are the other timelines, right? If like, you know, the flash fucked up the the timeline, like what, what are the other versions of these, these guys that we would see? And then for players who are entering the NBA, the question is what do, what do we want? What kind of situation and setup and context is good for them to flourish and, and what is not good for them to flourish, right? Like you wouldn't want to put Obi Topman in the corner for a whole season. And yet, I mean, who would do that? Who would do that? Who would do Luckily, that? <laughs> he seems to have uh, made it out the, the other side of the tunnel and found the light anyway. Um, thank the Lord. But uh, that was not guaranteed for a minute there. So uh, I think the conundrum is one that Knicks fans are particularly familiar with over uh, the last couple of years. Um, or even back, dating back to fucking Frank, just like getting jerked around and, and all that shit. So... Yeah, I mean, uh, or even like, you know, Knox, who had, there were no repercussions. Mm-hmm. It was like, all right, you're going to just play 35 minutes and you're going to take, take a bunch of shots and make a bunch of mistakes, but we're not going to hold you accountable. And then yeah. and then you have a coach that will hold him accountable. And it's that, you know, he didn't have that baseline on that that first year, which, you know, sets everything up to really be just a, like a responsible basketball player that does like basic stuff and not screw up all the time. And I think that his, his issue was that first year, you know, the numbers weren't terrible and especially that December run, but you look back and it was like, yeah, he didn't, he wasn't playing a way that was going to set him up for success long-term, but you don't, you know, when you're in the moment, you're not really thinking of that. You're just like, Oh, is he scoring pretty well, but he wasn't doing anything else that was going to be conducive to being a quality rotation player. I think that was the issue, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like some, some players are, 
are great with a long leash and the freedom to experiment. Some players, you want them in more defined roles and not not really, you know, experimenting with skills and things like that. Um, it changes whether you're a real tanking team or if you're a team that's kind of in the middle ground, like the Knicks have been, where they're trying to compete and they have some vets. So, you know, there's a fine line to walk. Um, you know, sometimes really good teams end up with, you know, higher picks or, or good players. And and then that's different. Like, with, I mean, Clippers had SGA, right? Like, if SGA stays on the Clippers instead of going to OKC, does he become SGA mm-hmm. behind all these right. dudes? I have no fucking idea. Maybe. Maybe mm-hmm. not. Like, I don't know. So, um, yeah. And, you know, looking at the guys in this year's class, uh, a lot of them have played many different roles in their pre-NBA career. Um, Part of that is because there's more sophomores and juniors in the lotto than in an average year, I would say. So just that is the nature of of getting older, right? Like if you stay Mm -hmm. in college or whatever, you're going to have a different role as you get more physically developed and get a whole nother year of practice and all that if you don't go to the NBA. And then on top of that, a lot of players... And this I have no explanation for. A lot of players, their skill sets just lend themselves to different roles, and they've played those different roles even before college. Like, we'll get into some of the guys, but like Jaden Sharp, Tari Eason, Johnny Davis, these guys before this season have all been like the man, not the man, ball handling, less mm-hmm. ball handling, starter, bench player. So it, it's not. You know, there's some guys who it's pretty straightforward. You look at, like, Jaden Ivey, and you're like, all right. You know, he plays off-ball and on-ball, but you pretty much know his role in the NBA. So there's not much of a question as to, like, how do I utilize Jaden Ivey? Like, you let, give him the ball, and you let him cook. You let him attack off of closeouts, you know, just regular shooting guard stuff, combo guard stuff. It's pretty straightforward. So, um, you know, to kick us off, uh, I'll, I'll let you pick. Is, is there anybody who you're... We could start with whoever you're a big fan of. Um, and then we'll just work through a couple, a handful of the guys that may or may not be available at 11 and, and see where that takes us. Yeah, yeah. So just like thinking about guys that were going to be in the Knicks range, the one that I just keep going back to him because the raw numbers are so crazy, um, but it's clear he's not going to play that role in the NBA is Tar Eason. And, you know, He's not going to be a 20-plus scorer, but there are so many different avenues for him to be a productive player. And I know there's like these weird fouling things, and um, (laughs) I've even – his motor now being questioned a little bit, although I thought that was like more of like in the the plus column. But for him, I think there – you can see him being just your – fourth option on a team that's going to defend three positions, you know, attack a closeout here and there, provide some energy, um, maybe even like a, you know, a sixth, seventh man off a bench, but be a really good productive player for a good team. And I can also see him being a guy that we totally undersold his offensive upside. And I'm not, I'm not assuming that there's going to be this crazy growth or he's going to be a 20 plus point a game score, but <clears throat> I really like the, the potential when you factor in the athleticism, some nice ball handling ability and just crazy size measurements, all that. And a guy that's going to get his hands on every 
loose mm-hmm. ball. I mean, there's just, there's so many different ways. So I, when I look at him as a, as a Nick, I'm like, all right, there's like a guy, unless he completely flames out, I don't see how the Knicks themselves are going to screw this one up. So I feel he's like a really safe guy to come in, get minutes, be productive and do the things that this current coaching staff and um, front office is going to like a lot. So <clears throat> do you, do you see him as a guy that is a versatile fit in terms of different ways you can, you can use him or do you think you're going to have to like really fo- hone in on one way for Tari to kind of blossom and be a, a quality player? I'm not sure. And I'm happy you chose Tari first. I don't know when their pod is dropping, but um, the other day I recorded with um, Mark Schindler and Caitlin Cooper of Indy Cornrows, friends of the Strickland fake Knicks fans extraordinaire. And it was a Tari Eason episode. Um, and we, we had this exact question cause all of us were like, fuck, I don't know, man, like he can do a lot of stuff. So how does he fit into the schematics for these two rigid ass coaches, Rick Carlisle and Dom mm. Thibodeau? Right? right. So, um, I, I think I tend to agree with you because he can do so much. It'll be able to fit with the gigantic Jupiter sized caveat asterisk of, and this goes with most of the players we'll talk about, but like the roster needs to get unfucked a little bit. Like it, even though he can probably play a little bit of three and he played some five in college and he can probably do that in the NBA. Like if there's two other power forwards, like strict power forwards, like Julius and Obi in front of him, then it just gets really hard. Um, but provided, you know, one of them, you know, say Julius is gone. And if another players come back in and they're not a power forward, or they're a power forward who gets hurt a lot, like Gordon Hayward or something, like then maybe you could make it work. And that's not to say you need to give him like a bazillion minutes in year one, like we did with Knox, but um, provided there's like a reasonable pathway to 15 to 20 minutes a game as a rook, then I think he would be fine for the reasons you articulated. Like as a, as an off-ball guy, some people are worried about, you know, is he going to shoot? But I, I really think he just needs to shoot okay because the finishing and the transition stuff will make it so even if he doesn't shoot fantastic, you know, say he shoots like 34%, something disappointing but not horrible. Like, I don't think he'll be a huge negative on offense um he might be a little negative just because most rookies are but you couple that with the defense and then um for most prospects i would say you know if they're a negative or a meh on offense then the defensive value is not enough to really warrant minutes on a team that's trying to compete but tari's probably an exception to that um you hit on a couple of the random things that are you know need to get worked out like the fouls and the motor stuff i don't even i don't know motor's the right word he definitely takes it's more just like when he turns his switch on and off for things like if you go for Mm -hmm. a steal that you can get because you're an athletic freak it might not be a good idea but it's on the coaches to kind of negotiate with you and work on with you, like fine tuning when you can freelance and when you can't, because he's going to, he won't be able to freelance in the NBA as much as he did. 
at LSU, but he has like stocks to spare. So he can still, you still want him to do that stuff. Um, you just don't want him to throw away a play for, uh, for that sort of stuff. And he doesn't have to because he's got like go-go gadget arms and Kawhi hands. So he's probably fine. Um, and you know, the little things like sometimes he would miss a box out or not run with a guy in transition. I'm pretty sure Tibbs would take care of that shit by just immediately removing him from the game or yelling at him. So um, just like Obi went through a lot of that his first year, I think Tari would get would probably lead the team in, in Tibbs' shouts mm-hmm. directed at for the first year. But uh, Tibbs, Tibbs, love-hate aside, I, I do think he's versatile enough to fit. Um, in the short term, is that do you think that would like let's assume Julius is gone for the sake of hypotheticals um say they bring in you know a, like a Gordon Hayward Harrison Barnes I don't fucking know some generic solid large person who's not mm-hmm. the largest person and say there's a pathway for Obi getting 15 20 minutes I mean not Obi um <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, yep what can you talk a little bit more about like what you would see as his ideal role like in the offense and how that offense would run. And let's assume the point guard is not Alec Burks and it's either quickly or like Jalen Brunton or something. So I think a little bit like how Obi has been utilized the last couple of years when he's gotten playing time, you know, you're not, I don't think he's a guy that um, Eason that is that you're going to run place for. And I think that's fine. And I have a little more confidence then maybe the consensus in terms of how he's going to be as a catch and shoot guy. Cause I, I know the shots kind of funky and it's, it's not you. going to be a, a versatile shot. Like he's not going to be a movement guy or a pull-up guy. Um, but I think as just a catch and shoot threat, if you factor in the free throw stuff, which I know is, is not as consistent in terms of how they correlate. Um, but an 80% free throw shooter on high volume, um, 36 in college from three. And I think the touch is fine. I, I really think he's going to be a good catch and shoot guy. So you, and, and a guy that you, you know, on a, on a second side is going to be able to attack a close out. Um, I really have, you know, I don't have a lot of confidence in him as a, a playmaker, but in terms of just like getting a, a catching the ball, getting a close out and just taking a dribble or two and getting to the rim, I think you're going to get a lot of value out of that. And so I, I don't, foresee this as being his LSU numbers where he's going to have a decent usage. He'll be a guy that's going to get a lot of garbage points. His rebounding rate's crazy. So you think he's going to, you know, get a lot of offensive rebounding opportunities, the transition stuff you talked about kind of a scrappy offensive player role where he's just going to get his hands on stuff and make some open shots. But um, I think the, the way the roster is currently set up, I think that's fine. And I think there's enough shooting around where even if he's not, a threat from three from the start. I think you can figure it out and and make it work because I think he's such an explosive athlete where the three point shooting is not, it's important, but I don't think it, it, it'll make or break him as being a guy that um, can at least hold his own offensively because I think there's probably a few other things drawn fouls um, transition mm-hmm. stuff to where he could be an impact player. Um, maybe not year one, maybe two years, two and three. Um, but I think, I think if the shooting is there, then I, th- I just think you have a quality offensive player who's going to be. And now the the foul rate is one of those things where 
Um, and actually Frank uh, Neil Aquino was the first one. I started to think of it in this manner where Frank kind of had a, a high foul rate right from the start and it's really never gotten great. And I, I don't know how much that lessens your value as a defender. I know like Pat Beverly, there's been some, um, you know, analysis on his defense and how, because of his high foul rate, his overall defensive impact is not as good as you may, you might think. So if he's not able to get that foul rate down, then you are think you could be talking about a guy that is going to maybe not have that same defensive value. But if he figures that out a little bit, you know, he's not, I don't know if he's an all-star long-term, but you know, a third, your third best player on a good team type role. And if you're getting that in pick 11 and I'm pretty confident he's going to be there at that point. I don't know, man, it would be really hard for me to, to, to pass on that. Um, when you factor in all those physical tools and I know he's 21, but I think there's still a lot of upside and the athletic juice and everything. I can't, like I said at the beginning, I keep going back to him because he just does so many things that the current Knicks roster doesn't do. I mean, you, you, you talked about the stock stuff. I mean, the three steals and the block and a half, the Knicks, they don't have a guy that kind of puts those two together. And I think that might be one of the reasons why I'm like, all right, I just want this guy on the roster and they don't have a guy unless Cam is the, the one you're going to, you're going to think about, but they really don't have that like six, nine, four, three defender, maybe some five. Um, I, I have my reservations with Cam, but if he's, if he's that, then you have a, you know, long-term piece for this team, you know, when they're winning games, you're going to want a guy like that on the roster. And when you're thinking about Boston or some of these other teams, all these ball handling wings, you need that. And I love some of the other guys that are going to be around where the Knicks are going to pick, but that defense is really um, enticing. And I think there's enough offensively to where he'll, he'll get by and he might be a slight positive um, in the future, but even if he's not, you know, I just like, I like the tool so much where I don't know, you don't get an athlete like that typically at that size in pick 11. So yeah, I feel I totally good. I, I, I feel good about him, And I know there's some buzz about him dropping and I don't know what, what, if that's a interview thing that's happening, obviously I don't have that Intel, but just looking at him as a prospect, you tend not to get a six, eight, six, nine guy with a seven plus wingspan that does, that can do what he can offensively at pick 11. Usually those guys are going a little bit higher. So you have to think really hard about it. Yeah. And one thing I like about, you know, just thinking about it out loud now with his fit on the Knicks is he's not going to start. And I do like the, I do like, despite, I wish Tibbs staggered more, but I do appreciate the cohesiveness of bench unit identities in the last couple of years and how that's generally worked for us. And assuming IQ moves to the starting lineup or plays a lot with the starters, um, that identity is going to change. The roster is probably going to change a lot um, or a little at least. And I think if you have a bench unit that has Cam Tari Sims, you can get and I like whether that's with Rose or IQ or, you know, Burks, whoever, like plug whatever guard is in you want with those three. But we saw Tibbs let Sims kind of get a little bit more aggressive and free and, you know, like he did, like, like Nerland's almost, they both, Tibbs lets them both play a little bit above the level and trap and be more aggressive than, than Mitch and Taj. And 
Cam is always just by his nature, for better or for worse, going to be a more aggressive defender in terms of going for steals. Um, so you can have a unit there that is like the fucking bootleg corner store Raptors type energy mm-hmm. where it's just a bunch of long athletic boys who can all sort of dribble and kind of shoot and do things on offense, just kind of going around and, and going nuts um, and having length and switching and things like that. And that would be, you know, that would be really cool. One, you know, we don't have to get into this tangent, but one thing I'm curious about if they do let Mitch go is because um, I don't think they're going to stick with Sims as a replacement starter. So almost certainly whoever you get, free agent or trade or draft or whatever, whoever you get is not going to be quite the level of like, we only run drop hmm. center as Mitch, unless you end up with like Mark Williams as a starter. And I, I again, I can't see a rookie starter or like Clint Capella or someone like that. Um, so barring acquisition of one of those similar to Mitch, super duper conservative, gigantic rim protector dudes which is fine it's just you know whatever like you're gonna have a more aggressive switchy defense and just i I would love to see that and that's a way to kind of lean into tari and cam to be honest to their strengths Mm -hmm. as defenders um because you you definitely with both of them want them to play a little more conservatively but you don't want to eliminate you don't want to make them try to defend like for example how iq and rj defend which is just like Position in the way, yeah. right? Position like I'm in the right spot chest. most of yep. the time, <laughs> right? So, w- just to um, compare Tari to another player that may or may not be available where the Knicks are, and a guy that is again, you know, a defensive first four three type, maybe a five. Do you like if you had to choose as a defensive prospect, Tari or Sohan? Do you have a preference between the two of them as strictly defensive prospects? Yeah, I think I still prefer Tari just because of the athleticism. Um, Sohan is a fantastic defender, and and he's so much young. He's like two years younger than Tari, I think. Mm -hmm. And he's totally going to be one of those fucking guys who's super annoying to play against, who's probably like great at defense and always fucking flopping and like (laughs) possibly a dirty player. So I don't doubt that. He'll be his own brand of awesome on defense that's a lot different from Tari's. I mean, they're similar in the sense that they are they can probably guard multiple positions and different kinds of players in a pinch and all that. But aside from that, I, I do think Sohan isn't, at least yet, quite, you know, because people get more athletic, so we'll see. But Sohan isn't quite as long or quite as strong or quite as bouncy. And mm-hmm. he doesn't have that same ability to, like, take one step and shoot a gap and just claw in and like break up a handoff or just turn a dig into a steal because he has bear paws like Tari does like that. Those things are just Tari specialties. Cause you need to be a, a weird type of measurables guy to do that kind of thing. Um, so I, I, yeah, I prefer Tari defensively. Sohan, I don't think he doesn't seem like a Knicks type of guy, you know, not much of a of a pull up shooter. And the Knicks haven't I don't think they've drafted a 19 year old since Frank or Frank was even younger. But um, so I'm not I haven't even given much thought to what the hell Sohan looks like on the Knicks. Um, Are you a fan of his if he's um, on the board? 
not well it depends you had mentioned you know how does this how does this look without julius and i think the fit with tari probably the same same regard um if you draft a four um and i don't think jeremy is a is a three in the nba he's a he's going to be a four that can guard a few positions i think the roster as currently constructed is not going to be conducive and i think that kind of lends goes back to the initial topic of the show where i just don't if you have julius and ob i i don't think as much as i like both of them as defensive prospects and as much as i think that the team desperately needs that switchable four three type defender i don't i don't know how you do that and not really have an avenue to play them because you, you're not going to play them at the three um, because the offense would just be a disaster, and you're you're already struggling to get Obi minutes. So unless something else gives, I would s- probably say that Tari and 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 Jeremy are going to be long shots um, for the roster. I just was curious as like more of like how you look at a, a defensive prospect if you wanted the more like explosive playmaker versus the more solid, going to be in the right spots. Um, guy like uh sohan and i think we're in alignment that this the current roster probably needs a more explosive athlete at that at that spot but i i don't think either one of them is the right fit and i think you're right about the age stuff until they do do something different i think you have to assume they're going to want a guy that's going to come in and be a little more seasoned that you know you know those there's a a few sophomores as you mentioned that are going to be in that in the Knicks range so i think that's probably where the the easier money is going to be in terms of where they're going to go. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So, so let's, you know, at the risk of just taking shortcuts and then me having to learn everything about Sohan after the draft, I'm going to move on from Sohan and and pick another guy uh, to talk about developmental pathways. Um, Near and dear to my heart, Johnny Davis. Um, I, he's my bet of players that Perez likes to drop. Um, you know, not because of anything he did, but because other guys' stock seems to be rising, and you know, the draft, the pre, the la- the month, pre- the last month pre-draft tends to be kind to players who are tall and to players with shaky jumpers who can go into a gym and then show that they've improved that. And maybe Johnny falls into that category, but like he's also kind of short, um, so or not, he's not short. He's just not. Uh, you know, he's not a big wing or something like that. He's not like Sohan mm. or Tari or Dyson Daniels. So um, Johnny is interesting to me in terms of uh, what's the best, How what are the best things that a team like the Knicks could do to put him in a position to succeed? He, obviously he had his breakout year as a just straight up two guard, classic style, uh, super high usage. Um, only Tari had a higher usage than him of lottery prospects, unless you have Blake Wesley in your, in your lottery. Um, and the year before that, you know, he was a bit player on Wisconsin and, you know, he wasn't whack or anything. He just wasn't the man. And, you know, he also played on the U19 team, uh, the summer before this season with Chet and Ivy and, uh, Kenneth Lofton and, and all those dudes who played against like Wemby and Nikola Jovic and, uh, you know, a bunch of other really talented international guys. And, and that team won the gold. Davis was, he played, but not much. He was maybe like the ninth man or eighth man or, or something like that. Um, his stats 
like low crappy but the sample size and minutes were so small that it like did it matter um i did check out some of that uh u9 i went back to some of that u19 footage just to see what he looked like and they decimated most teams so it's not like he had to do anything like i was watching his best statistical game was versus south korea and it wasn't even anything fancy it was like like a Frank type stat line. It was like eight points and six assists and eight rebounds or something mm-hmm. like that. And it was just, it was really interesting to just see him kind of chilling off ball and like all these other guys drawing attention and he gets the ball and just pings it to the open man or, you know, give and go with like Jaden Ivy or just kick ahead like 40 feet because half of the USA's points are fast break points because nobody can keep up with Chet and Ivy and, and these dudes. And um, who's my guy? Uh, Mike, Mike miles, who was the, probably the, the best point guard on the team during that run. And uh, that the team was just super stacked. So he didn't have to do anything, but, but it was interesting to just see him play such a reduced role. And, you know, not to say he's going to be some 11 usage guy in the NBA, even as a rookie, I think he'll be more than that. Oh, if he gets minutes, but like, we're obviously not going to get 30 usage Johnny Davis on the New York Knicks. We have too many guys, even if Julius leaves, right? Like quickly RJ. So um, what do you think would help him? Like what, what, what's the ideal setup for picking Johnny Davis to you? So I think that, and I think you may have mentioned this on a previous pod. It wasn't his catch and shoot unguarded numbers. Pretty crazy. From yeah, three. it was like 47 40, or something. Yeah. I mean, small sample size and all that, but like it kind of makes sense if you think about his shot because he, you know, it's not textbook. It's a little yeah. low. Yeah, it's, he takes a while to load it up. Yeah, and it's a low release. So, he's But gonna, if he has time, yeah, you could rely on that thing, which is why like unguarded catch and shoot is probably super easy for him. Yeah, and which I also as in a quick aside, when he's when he's going, when he's operating in the mid-range, the shot mm-hmm. does come up a little bit and it's a little quicker and he gets up he, he jumps much higher. So I think he's one of those guys. Um, I think you and I have talked about Booker in the past, you know, the, <clears throat> the guys that can adjust their shooting release, depending on where they are on the floor, just, I think That's speaks safe. to their, it's just as high level, um, not only skill level, but also the instinct to, to be able to do that. I don't think that necessarily comes easy to a lot of players. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, even IQ yeah. is a phenomenal shooter, and it, it, he just figured that specific skill out very recently. Like, yeah. it took him a while, and he's an amazing shooter. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, Trey Young, um, mm-hmm. kind of his, he figured he's figured it out as like he can now kill in the mid range because he's, he can kind of adjust that a little bit. And um, it's just an important skill to have, especially when you're not 6'8. And um, so I, I think the development path for, for Davis might look something like Maxi in Philadelphia where you're going to, he's not going to run a lot of on ball stuff. Maybe the first year, um, 15 minutes a night, you know, lead your second. I don't know if he's going to lead the second unit, but be one of your top options on your second unit to where you're going to want to give him, I think a little bit of a, a leash as an on ball guy. Um, because I think there's probably a little bit, and you had mentioned some stuff on the U19 where, there might be, I don't know if he's a point guard long-term or, but there, there's probably more playmaking in there somewhere. And I think the Wisconsin uh, years may have muddied that up a little bit. So I think if you're, if you're the Knicks, I think that you draft him. I think you put him on the, the second unit. I think you figure out a way to get him 15 minutes a night. And I think the defense, we already know what his, 
defensive upside is, and I think it's it's really good. Um, the motor is going to be obviously as a thirty usage guy, and still have the motor you had in Wisconsin. Um, you know you're getting a guy that's going to bring it uh, on the defensive end. He gets his hands on a lot of things. Another big hands um, guy. Um, so I think you you look at him as a potential long term second, third best scoring option on a team. Maybe um, there's there's something there, but I think giving him an, some on-ball reps year one as on the second unit to where he's not playing against starters might give you a, l- a little bit in terms of just figuring it out. Does this guy have any long-term mm-hmm. function as a, as a lead ball handler? Because, you know, I don't – Maxi was a – Primarily, was he primarily off ball in Kentucky? I know him and yeah, they quickly had him kind of shared off it for like Rip Hamilton actions, and it was good for his development, but it, it was certainly not the ideal lady. They had so much talent, it didn't fucking yeah. matter. But like, yeah, Hagens was the number one ball handler, and then IQ, and then Maxi was like catch and go, catch and shoot, come off the screen, right, and like right. all that stuff. And he's not like a phenomenal playmaker, but he's a good enough to, uh, passer to where like all his other crazy athletic tools um, is all it's all enhanced. So I think with with Davis, I think the um, that would be probably be my number one priority is to get him, get him minutes, get him some on ball reps uh, is because I think that there's probably something there to where you you might have a better playmaker, a better long-term threat as a pick-and-roll operator than maybe his draft slot is going to suggest. And um, just let him defend. I mean, the the size, as you mentioned, isn't isn't great, but I think... It's not bad, though. He not, uh, While yeah. you were talking, I was curious because I was like, oh, wouldn't it be great for him to just learn from Alec Burks? Because there are some similarities in their game. And then I was curious because Burks is taller in shoes and has a longer wingspan, but they have the same standing reach. And and this is what we saw with uh with Johnny at the um at the combine is his wingspan mm. is good but not great. But for whatever reason, I, I gotta talk to somebody who knows more about like physics or not physics, like physiological stuff than me. But his standing reach was eight feet seven and a half, which is the same as Alec Burks, literally. So uh yeah, I mean <clears throat> It's part of why he's a really good defender, and he has pretty big hands as well. Um, you got me thinking, like, if he's on that bench unit, I would basically not be mad. They're different players, but I would not be mad if he had the same role that IQ had when IQ came in, just, mm-hmm. you know, playing off of Rose. Or, you know, I'm assuming Rose is still on the team. If Rose is not on the team, then, like, playing off of IQ or whoever is the backup point guard. because, Or, you know, maybe it's Burks. Shit, I don't know, but, like, He's I, IQ got, you know, he got a chance to dabble in on ball stuff, but it was still very much catching off of a tilted defense. He was not the guy. It wasn't like my turn, your turn until a little bit later when quickly finally began to kind of come into his own as a shot creator. So, um, you know, some a backup point guard like Rose and then the, you know, whether it's Obi or Cam or Sims or whoever, like I think our bench unit is still going to be a strength. So it, it's, and maybe this becomes a theme throughout this pod, but I, I feel like this bench unit is kind of a good security net of sorts for a lot of these prospects um, because there's versatile guys on the bench, right? Regardless of whoever stays or goes like Burks can basically play one, two, three off ball on ball 
Same mm-hmm. with Derrick Rose. Um, Grimes is pretty much strictly off ball, so it is what it is. But like, if you stagger and you have Fournier or RJ with the bench, obviously they can. So there's a lot of configurations for the bench unit, and whoever we pick is almost certainly not going to be a starter. So you know, it's, it's a good development environment if they can get the minutes, which is you know a key thing. And with someone like Johnny Davis, he's so dynamic that. Maybe I'm naive, but I'm not really worried about Tibbs sticking him in the corner. So for you, uh, here's my follow-up question for you is, what's the shitty version of the Knicks drafting him and misusing him? Like, how does that look to just play devil's advocate? I, I think giving him, and I, I don't see this happening because of the mm-hmm. aforementioned roster crunch, but giving him too much of a... A, a usage coming in because the, the only thing that if there is one concern I have, and I don't know what you think about this, but you know, the, the kind of the mid range shot making that mm-hmm. he was. So I know the numbers may not have been great, but he, he's a tough shot maker in the mid, in the kind of that mid area post up um, pulling up in that, in that range. A lot of that was against really heavily contested um Oh, yeah. shot contest. So I, I don't, I don't know how this, you know, if you go to the NBA, you're get you're getting, instead of a guy that's six, four with a, you know, a minus off um, athletically, you're getting, you're, you're up against a guy that's six, six plus athlete. Is he going to have the same opportunity to, to, to be a tough shot maker in that area in the, in the league? Um, Cause I, I don't think if you compare him to like a Devin Booker, I, I just, I think there's a little bit, he's a little light in the, um, well, Booker's not an amazing athlete. I think he's a he little gave, better. He got a lot more athletic, though. He's in, in, I feel in, like right. he's an underrated athlete. He is because it's all it's all like a very efficient movement, and he's so smooth. But he he gets into his pull ups and his um, high release um, mm-hmm. uh, mid range shots so quickly and efficiently. Whereas I look at Davis, and I th- it, things just look a little bit tougher for him, or at least it did in in Wisconsin. So I don't know if that is just a product of that usage and you bring him to the NBA with more spacing and there's just a, a more of an opportunity to kind of um, have some more space. So th- do you have any concerns about him as a <clears throat> finisher, not at the basket, not as a catch and shoot guy, but just in that mid range um, area? Or do you think that whatever, what he did at Wisconsin is going to translate going forward? Um, I'm kind of high on his athleticism. I, you, I, I do think he's, you know, he's definitely going to have to adjust to going against taller, stronger guys because he pretty much had the strength advantage versus everybody because he's a really strong 20-year-old. And um, that's not going to be the case in the NBA. But I I do wonder if that's almost negated by having a little bit better spacing. Um, it was just, it was rough in Wisconsin, as you said. Like, yeah. they just had no type of shooting or spacing. And, and part of that was him just kind of leaning into it and being like, fuck it, Mamba mentality for every basket. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, you know, the the U19 stuff gave me kind of hope where uh, he could choose his spots and, and in the NBA and on the Knicks in particular, you'd be looking for something in between that. Like, you don't have to be eighth man, just sit around and, you know, play like Frank, which is basically what he did on U19, and then be Kobe for your team like he was at Wisconsin. Um, for the mid-range stuff in particular, the I'm we know the Knicks like they trained a lot of that out of Deuce. Um, I don't think they would do it quite as much 
for Johnny, but they would definitely do some of that. Like they did it with Cam. Like we we know this is how they roll. We have two perimeter players now um, who we know that they've pretty much cut down on the MIDI stuff. Um, RJ, they didn't really cut down, but that's different because he's a number three pick and you generally let a number mm-hmm. three pick do what they do. So I wouldn't expect that with a number 11 pick. Um, you know, they picked OB8 and they've modified his role several times and he's taken to that. So I think they'll definitely cut down on the mid-range stuff. Um, you know, he's not going to be going like IQ style cross between Hezzy from three. But where IQ would do that or go to a floater as a young player, I could see Johnny like getting ready for the spot up. And then if they close too hard, then he'll go to his Johnny Davis stuff, which, you know, maybe it's in the beginning, like some mid post stuff or some driving kick um, or just going to the basket straight up and trying to draw a foul. Right. Cause that's another thing he's really good at that someone like IQ wasn't um we saw cam do that a lot and it may have been small sample size because he's never done that before but his like nick's free throw rate was it's pretty high and this is one of the things i'm monitoring because his mid-range frequency plummeted and i'm like okay next year if cam is turning middies into rim forays even if he can't jump over a shoebox he's still big and draws and can draw fouls if he just sticks his long ass arms out there so um that's kind of something to monitor with him and it's also something to monitor with Johnny, I think, um, because we know they wanted IQ to take more shots at the rim early in his career. He just he he didn't know how that wasn't his thing. So with mm-hmm. someone like Johnny, if he's in the IQ role, attacking off of Derrick Rose, tilting a defense where IQ would take a floater or right. Maybe Johnny's going to the mid range, but maybe he's going to the rim. I don't know. It's kind of it's definitely something I'm not not worried about it, but I'm not super worried about it either. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't have they don't have a guy. I mean, Rose might be the closest, I guess, mm-hmm. guy that can you know in terms of just um get, getting to the rim or getting to a spot, even if it's like in the short mid range. I think that was what like Rose is. He was like the one guy in the playoffs against Atlanta that if you just needed a bucket, he's yeah. not getting all the way to the rim, but he's going to get that floater, that that push shot, or a little kind of baby hook thing he does. But he just gets to a spot where if you need a need a bucket with five on the shot clock he was like the only guy that could do it i know burks can do it sometimes and maybe rj is the guy long term but if, if you're looking just a fit on the team i think you look at davis he can be a definitely be that long term even if you're not as um and maybe as soon as this coming season as a guy that can mm-hmm. be that diverse shot maker when things are kind of breaking down you don't have a you don't have much going on but just a guy that can get a bucket and you know especially that, versus bench units uh, for especially versus bench units, and I think that is something where you put them in that spot year one, you're just going to have good habits, and you're going to build those good habits, give them a little taste of what it is to be a, a second option on a, on a on, on the floor, and you know I think long term there's obviously much more upside, but the fit is nice. I mean, you he, he if he was six eight, he would be, he'd go three, top three, top four in the draft, um, but that's the only real downside. I mean, the fact that he's not going to he didn't measure crazy but the the, his production in terms of defense is there and if he's your if he's a one two defender maybe some threes that's enough versatility and you know with Tibbs as we know he's not a guy that's going to shuffle guys into different defensive roles anyway he kind of is pretty strict with who you know two guards a two and a three guards a three and and so forth so I think the defense production is you look at his numbers and it, it it's as good as anyone 
um, in the draft in terms of what he could do. And he's, he's, his, we talked about his motor and he's very disciplined in that area. He makes enough plays. Are you ready for the NBA champs to be crowned? Join the finals action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA bet and get $150 in free bets instantly. Looking to turn another small bet into a big payday during the NBA Finals? With a DraftKings same-game parlay, you can do just that. This NBA season, a customer placed a $5 same-game parlay and won over $5,000. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more. And boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet during the NBA Finals and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. I would love to see a bench unit if we have him. You know, towards the end of the season, Tibbs started letting RJ cook with the bench a little bit. And I would really love to say, like, a unit where RJ is basically the lead ball handler and there's no true point guard. And then it's like Johnny and Grimes, maybe even another guard. But if not, like you can have Cam, you can have Sims, you can have Obi, whatever. But like the key part is you have Grimes to provide some very strong spacing. And then you have RJ to tilt the defense, um, especially if Rose is gone. Um, because whoever we have as a backup point guard, unless it's IQ again, um, is probably not going to do what Rose did in that sense. So like letting RJ do his thing versus bench units and then just tilt and kick to Johnny, um, that'd be spectacular. Um, and then that could be the whole vibe for that bench unit is like let Cam and Johnny and Grimes spot up and Grimes... I don't care how close they are, just shoot the three, dude. And then for mm-hmm. for for Cam and Johnny, it's it's not shoot the three at all costs. It's throw the pump fake and then just get to the rim and do your thing there. And don't take mid ranges like you used to. And in Cam's case, he's long, and then Johnny's case, he's strong. And you know, let them do that sort of stuff. And that'd be a fun way to like. It wouldn't be the switchable transition demon situation that we described with Tari, but it would be a unit that really locks up and just draws a fuck ton of fouls and just could just like literally physically overpower, you know, Sims, RJ, Johnny, that's a like physically imposing group of guys. And obviously cam isn't strong like that, but he's imposing in his own way. So, mm-hmm. you know, that would be a cool identity for, uh, for a unit. I would say the the thing that I'm most worried about with Johnny, the him having too high of a usage is definitely definitely something I'm worried about. But I, I just it, that's hard to see just because we have so many players, and unless Brock Aller works his magic and really clears the deck a little bit, which is entirely possible, um, I don't want to see Johnny reduced. I, I don't want to see what ha- I know it was very limited minutes, but I don't want to see what happened to Deuce happened to him Mm. and part of that was deuce's own fault like deuce was flat out not flat out not aggressive i don't think that'll ever be a problem with johnny davis (laughs) Mm. but just like being the off-ball guy 
and not even the second off ball guy, but the third or fourth off ball guy and just, you know, bring the ball up and pass it and just sit in the corner and wait for a chance to maybe shoot a three or swing it. Like if Tibbs forced Johnny into that developmentally, I think that's a lose-lose situation. I think that would be bad for the bench, and I think that would be bad for Johnny. Um, you don't need him to get isolation reps because he's not an isolation player, but you, like you mentioned, you do want him to get some level of on-ball reps, whether that's pick and roll or attacking off the catch. Um, and I would just... You can bounce back from that as a rookie. Like we saw it with Obi, he was just kind of shuffled away into the corner and he ended up fine. But like each year really does matter to me. So it'd be really awfully nice if we could not have to deal with that shit for, uh, for Johnny boy. Um, but moving along, uh, I picked Johnny, so I'll let you pick, uh, who do you want to get into next? So <clears throat> we had mentioned, we talked about Mitch a few times. Do you want to get into the, the two centers? Because, um, yeah, sure. I don't think there. You know, I don't know what the odds are that one of them are. You know, the whether it's Williams or is it uh, Duran or Duran? Duran, right? Sure. I think it's Duran. I think it's Duran. Yeah. So, where are you on those uh, on those two things? Because my stance is, if you're gonna if you're gonna say Mitch is going to be too expensive, whatever contract he's going to get, then going ahead and spending a top eleven or eleventh pick on a center is bad business overall. But I don't think we can rule out. That idea, especially um, with Tibbs as a head coach, wanting a guy that's going to be a rim protector type, and you're going to want that as a as a head coach, or he's going to want that as a head coach. Do you have a – where are you on that um, world? Would I, you be disappointed with one of those two? At 11, yeah. If we traded back a little bit, then I'd be cool. Or even if we just acquired another pick and say they got like Jalen Williams somewhere in the teens and Mark at 11, like, and that, then I'd be cool with that. Like, cause my philosophy is, is go get your guys. And I don't really care so much about where you get them. If you can get them where higher, lower, like cool. But I'm, generally speaking, I'm with you. Like, Tibbs can like a guy and not play him. I think people forget that. Like, that's what happened with Deuce. Tibbs was one of the main voices in the room, apparently, you know, pro Deuce, which makes sense because look at the guy, right? So, right. Um, and then he was like, surprise, you don't get to play. We have too many other players who I like more than you. Mm-hmm. So uh, I could very much see Tibbs liking Mark Williams. Um, I think Perrin would love both of those guys, you know, looking at the guys he's picked. Um, but I just don't think, It'd be really hard for this is what I can't wrap my brain around. And I'll answer your question with the question. So say we draft one of those guys. I can't see them, them starting a rookie. Mm-hmm. The learning curve is, is so steep that even, you know, guys like Okongu who profiled better than both of these players still had to basically do their, you know, apprenticeship for a couple of years. Look at Bam had to do the same thing and he was phenomenally talented. Mobley came in into like the perfect situation where he could play the four and all of that. So like there's some times where you can come in and make an impact right away, but that was a combination of a ridiculous, ridiculous player in a perfect, perfect situation. And this is not that because if Mitch is gone and we draft one of these guys, like, is Sims going to be the starter? I don't see, I don't see them starting a second year player unless the front office is cool with it and just forces Tibbs' hand. 
So does that mean if we draft Williams or Duran, are we getting another center and now Duran and Williams is the mm. third center or Sims is the third center? Because that yeah. seems kind of like a waste given what Sims showed. So I, I just, I, I'm sure there's a way for it to work out because they're both super talented. Um, not that a rookie center needs to play a ton, but like, it's just kind of a weird situation. Yeah, I agree. And I think if you're, if you're looking at, at a guy that's going to play day one, I think you can, at least even though I like Duran, Duran as a long-term prospect, I think I can see Mark Williams playing yeah. 15, 20 minutes a night okay. day one. And I, you know, him being a sophomore, him being, you know, a, a tad older, you know, okay, Kongwu. I think he was twenty, but I, I believe he, he was a he was a he was a only had one year at, at USC. Mm-hmm. So I think there you could go into that thinking that Williams is going to play year one, year one, and I think that there's enough there with his um, measurables and his uh, feet. From what I understand, I was listening to the Sam Bassini, his podcast, and he mm-hmm. he considers him in terms of just feet and agility to be the best center in this class um which was a surprise williams to me or williams okay as as just a guy that's going to be able to be a little more switchable better and drop um so I, I am kind of vacillating in terms of who i would have as i i, I think i still like Duran a little better but i can see this roster looking at williams and saying all right he's one of the safer picks in this class he's going to come come in he's going to be a uh, Maybe not day one, but he's going to be a very good rim protector. He's going to he's he's got good feet. He's going to rebound, and maybe there's a, enough there as a guy that can punish some switches to where you may have a little more scoring upside than a guy like Mitch, or definitely over a guy like Sim. So maybe they look at him as maybe not a day one starter, and maybe there's a, a guy they sign as a free agent for cheap that will come in and, and give them starter minutes though i haven't really looked at the the free agent list isaiah hartenstein who i just learned started shooting threes at the end of the season and i watched all 30 of them and you know i'm i'm not i'm not mad at it like yeah like i'll I'll send you the link yeah he's definitely got something there i don't think he'll break the bank but anyway um yeah, yeah, sorry, I interrupted. No, that's fine. <laughs> so, but yeah, he's—I think he's a good screen setter. Which, as a you know, if you're not a Nick fan and listening to this, you're like, oh, that's that's kind of a, a micro thing to think about. But it's been a rough going um, go for us as Nick's fans watching our center set try to set a screen. Um, although Sims is pretty good at it, so I will give him credit. But um, I think Williams is a, a a guy that just feel he while he he wouldn't be in the top five in terms of the Knicks centric players that I would pick, I can easily see him if they're moving off Mitch um, to bring in him as the 11th pick, maybe they trade down um, to get a little better value, but um, nine, nine standing reach is what it is. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And I think if you're um, we, we know that a dominant defensive center can really anchor a defense. And I think there's, um, I think the question might be, is he good enough offensively to where if you're, if you're projecting out into the playoffs, is he a guy that can stay on the floor? And I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if the Knicks do. I don't know if, I don't know what your thoughts are, but um, I think that's the thing you have to ask yourself is, um, is it, if you're taking a guy at 11 at a a center and you're going to have to figure out a way to hide him in the playoffs, does that pick make sense? I don't know. 
it's, I guess that's a philosophy thing as a team, but I can see the Knicks as an organization um, bringing him in. And I think Tibbs as a coach is probably as a developmental <clears throat> coach for, <clears throat> excuse me, as a player, it's probably not, it's probably a great situation for Williams in terms of his long-term uh, projections. Yeah. I think for Williams, provided there was a pathway to minutes and, you know, I, and minutes and all that, I think that'd be fine for his development. It's more of a question for the Knicks goals than it is for Williams development for me. So like, I just don't think, even though he's a little bit older, like to me, my philosophy is regardless of if a center is 18 or 20 or 21, like NBA seasoning is NBA seasoning. Like we saw it with Sims who came in as senior, like 22 Mm -hmm. or 23. And, and he was doing all types of like, he might as well have been an 18 year old. Right. And like Mark Williams, he's immensely talented. and, And I do think he's pretty mobile for someone who's that size, but like, he has all of the very stereotypical like shot blockery stuff that Mitch had. Like he fouls a shit ton. Some of it is smart. Some of it is not. He jumps on fakes all the time. When he switches out into the perimeter, he plays like he's Quentin Grimes and he gets all up in someone's shirt and he gets a bunch mm-hmm. of fouls that way. And it's like, relax, dude. If you mm-hmm. do that in the NBA, you're going to be left in the dust and you're going to pick up a foul 100% of the time. So like he, he has a lot of those habits that he's going to have to iron out. Which is why I just he could he could totally play day one, but I'd like if if we're committing to Mark Williams starting center, then our our defense is not going to he he might do well for from a developmental perspective from but from a team perspective, I I just can't see our defense being top half of the league, which it basically was last year. If you exclude the Kemba minutes, and even if you include them, I think um, if you exclude the Kemba minutes, then you're talking like top ten, top five. So, which is kind of um, crazy if you look at the roster yeah. in terms of like you know the amount of quality defenders. If you had to go one by one, I mean, if you take out the centers, there's not a ton there in terms of just guys you would consider positive, very good defenders. So I think you have to think that's that's a lot of the the center rotation, figuring it out. And that's obviously the coaching thing, which, you know, I know we all have our hangups with Tibbs and I mean, he's good at that. He's great at that. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, there's, um, so maybe that, that is, I, I just don't know how much is of that is just having a, if you're, if you're saying goodbye to Mitch, how much of, of what he does defensively. And I'm really, I, I think he's, undervalued in terms of his defensive presence and his ability to alter shots and, and defensive rebound, which is, which keeps getting better. So I, I wonder what their long-term plan is to, to build a competent defense. If you're moving off Mitch, you know, I don't, I don't think there's a free agent that you're signing. That's going to replace that. So mm-hmm. I think as a, as an organization, I think they're going to, I think they would think about either one of these, uh, two centers, though I'm kind of with you. I don't. I don't think that makes a ton of sense for their their current roster and where they want to go. I think you know one question I've talked to Schwinn about is like if Mitch is gone, and I kind of alluded to it before, but like, do they change their defense that was so effective, their conservative defense, um, to something a little bit more aggressive and something with more switching than because uh, they didn't switch that much. Um, but you would see stretches later in the season with Sims or with cam where they would do more of that. Um, 
and it would be successful. It was just something that Tibbs was kind of just dipping his toe in for the first time because he didn't have Sims wasn't getting minutes until later in the season and they didn't acquire Cam until later in the season. So he didn't really have the tools, but like there's as far as, you know, we, we talked mentioned it earlier, as far as positional defenders go, um, there's some solid guys getting minutes and, and that's half the battle, right? Like in the regular mm-hmm. season, I should say like Rose, RJ quick, even AB Alec Burks, he's pretty solid positionally get, doesn't die on screens and, Stuff like that. So um, Obi miraculously holding his own on isolations every game. He's done it for two years now, so I'm assuming it's a thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, like, you combine that with, with the shot blocking, and you can see why it works. Um, and with Sims and Taj to a lesser extent, and Nerlens as well, we did see a slightly different version of the defense that was more aggressive and that suits some players like Grimes more who, who loves being aggressive and cam. So we have some tools, some guys to play more aggressive defense. So it'd be interesting to see with someone like Williams or Duran, if they would, if, if it would resemble more like our Mitch defense or our non Mitch defense. Um, I don't really know the answer. Uh, the other kind of factor for me is this is a deep center draft. So I just think, I don't see a huge drop off from Mark to Coloco or Kamagate. They're different centers with different skills, but I don't think Mark is that. I mean, he has better measurables than all of them, but like, I don't think he's more mobile than those two. Certainly not more mm-hmm. mobile than Kamagate. Um, I don't think he's more mobile than Duran. Um, I think he has a longer reach than Duran, but I think Duran. Uh, just the way he jumps, like one foot, two foot, second jump, all that stuff is just, it's like Mitch. He's really good at that. And that's kind of the sneaky special sauce if he can learn to to channel it. Um, so I just, like I would end up talking myself into it because obviously those two are phenomenal players in their own right. But it would just. There's probably too much shooting where the Knicks are going to be picking. Um, so if like Matherin's there, I know right. you're not, I know he's not, you're not in love with him, but if no, like, no, I'm, I'm slowly, I'm you're slowly, slowly coming developing along. Oh, yeah. a, a relationship <laughs> here with, with Mr. Matherin. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, you know, assuming he's there or, you know, Davis, um, mm. there's a, there's a really good chance he's there. And if you're a, a, a Brandon guy, I, I think there's so much, yeah. You know, I I think it would be hard to see those guys and knowing the team could use either one of those players um, in terms of their shooting, in terms of their potential as, um, you know, second side playmakers to where you're going to, I would hope as an organization, they err on that side of the coin, figuring that, you know, Sims is a guy that you have the 15 minutes already assigned to a a center if Mitch is gone and you figure out the other, you know, 30-ish or so and maybe you going to go crazy and maybe play Obi and, and Julius together if you're if they're both right. going to be on the roster. So maybe they could figure out the center spots there. But um, that, that's my thing is like, you know, the theme of this pod, I don't think like throwing them to the wolves, that's fine for them, but I just can't see it. I, I, I don't, I lack the imagination to see this Knicks team front office and coach doing that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of like other young, talented centers who have just been like, here you go, 25 minutes, right? Like, I, 
I'm sure they're there. I just can't think. I'll have to like check after the pod because I'm sure that's happened in the last five years. But it's so rare because of the center depth in the league and the learning curve. Um, even on, I'm trying to think, like even some of the tanking teams, you would think that, but like Sangoon, he didn't get free reign with the minutes and and all that. And I'm, Agaruba didn't even play. I mean, he's not like a center center, but. Um, yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, he hasn't really drafted a center like that. I think Mo Bamba played. I mean, he was maybe in that 15 minute range. I don't think he got to 20. Yeah. In he, Orlando. he had the timeshare with, uh, with Wendell and with yeah. Robin Lopez and, right. and all that. Um, yeah, no, you're right. It's not, it's not common. And so it probably just speaks more to the idea that it's just not worth for where this team is, um, picking at 11 to get a development project in there. Um, you center, could do so. a triple timeshare kind of situation like Orlando. It would just be a little tricky and you'd have to punt Nerlens and Taj to the moon or just transform Taj into a player coach like Haslam or something. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I-, I guess you could do what they did um, and just, you know, like 15, 15, 15 kind of situation with like low level free agent X or even Hartenstein if you really want. Um, and then, or hell, Robin Lopez, bring him back, whatever. He's a free agent. And then have Sims like 15 and then rookie 15. And then you just kind of play the matchups. Like that wouldn't be the craziest thing. It's just so foreign compared to what we've done where it's like, these are our centers. It's three of them. Mm-hmm. If one gets hurt, here comes Sims. Like very predictable. No small ball. Like, I don't know. But even that magic timeshare... All three were so different that you could kind of see how the matchups made sense. The Wizards also have had various iterations of like a timeshare situation with their combination of Thomas Bryant, Daniel Gafford, now Chris Dapps, um, sometimes Kuzma, um, things like uh, Robin Lopez again <laughs> last year. Mm-hmm. Right. So, But even those guys, like one is a rim runner, one is a stretch five, one is Robin Lopez who's like throwing 60% hook shots from the hand of the Midas touch hook shot that he has or whatever. And then same thing in Orlando, Bamba's kind of a stretch. Wendell's like a little bit of a do it all. And then Lopez is your more traditional low post kind of dude. And if you look at the Sim, I mean, not the Sims. If you look at the Knicks guys, like, okay, Sims is not a, you know, he's not some post up guy, but he's basically a rim runner who just happens to be mobile on defense. And then Mark Williams and Duran are rim runners who happened to be mobile on defense. Nerlens is not anything on offense, but he's like an attempted rim runner who's mobile on defense. So right. it, I, how would you even approach it? Yeah, that's, I, it's, I, I, it's, it's tricky. Unless so they fully went to stretch five Taj full time, which right. would not be the worst thing in the world. It would not be. So who's the, who's the guy that could fall a little bit that you think in the, in the Knicks – system could really flourish a guy that maybe is more in the that's conventionally out of the Knicks range but you can see coming to whether it's AJ Griffin or Keegan Murray to where you get them in the Knicks uh, system can really flourish even Shaden if you want to put Shaden Sharp in that mix I know that it's a little fuzzy in terms of what he might be yeah uh, Keegan there's just a quick note on him if you fell to the Knicks he's just so versatile that he'll be fine wherever I'm like He'll do whatever, and he'll be good at it. So I'm, I'm not. I almost like I could see the Knicks do it, like sticking him in the corner and whatever. But 
he would probably be really good at that. So like, yeah. I can't even be that mad at that. Right. Right. So. But <laughs> I mentioned like his low, like low outcome being like a Shane Battier, Miami heat version yeah. where he's, you know, a four, three versatile defender that is just in the right spots. That could just makes 50, you know, 45% of his corner threes, which is super valuable and obviously not the development that you want. Um, but I, I think for him, it's just, it's nice to have that as, and that's probably one of the reasons why he's considered where he, he is, is if that's your floor and you have all mm-hmm. that transition ability and that he has, and, um, and you know what he, he did at Purdue, um, I'm sorry, at Iowa in terms of a, a lead score, that's, that's the selling point for him. But, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I think th- there's obviously a m- little more there. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and then the other guy, I'll I'll take all of them together in a bunch because they're all shooters. Uh, Shaden, AJ, and Ben—they're all different kinds of shooters, but they're all shooters. And I think, I think that archetype is a cleaner fit than even the big wings we've discussed, even Keegan, because we—I mean, we have guys who can shoot, and you see the roles. Like, when they're in their proper roles, it works for the most part, right? Like, Fournier, I have my gripes with how they use him, but the guy hit 200 threes, so that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Grimes <laughs> Grimes is pretty fucking good as a bench shooter. Um, Alec Burks, when he's not a point guard, great shooter. He can. The, the difference between him and the other guys is he goes into his ISO bag a little bit, which is very cool as a two-guard to have that, so... Similarly, Shaden, Ben, and AJ all have different unique things they bring to the table as shooters. Um, you know, Shaden bringing his transition game and his uh, ability to, to create late in the clock, especially if you're thinking like Shaden with the bench units and stuff like that. Um, that comes in handy, kind of like what we saw Burks do, really. Basically the same role, to be honest. It's not like Burks got to the rim much either. So... It's basically like, hey, Shaden, do the Alec Burks thing, except don't do like kamikaze foul drawing stuff. Go try to dunk on somebody if you do set foot inside the paint. Um, And then Ben, it's like, okay, we have Grimes. Now we have two Grimeses, except Ben also is ridiculous in transition, like Shaden, and is a ridiculous cutter and movement guy, which Grimes is not. Um, he can, I'm sure like if you told Grimes, like, Hey, take some movement threes, he'd probably be pretty good at it. But, um, and he did do a little, but Matherin has, he has the potential to be like a premier movement shooter type guy. And, um, the Knicks so, have been how many guys year. are like, sorry. I, yeah, go go ahead, go ahead. Ahead. Well, no, how no. many guys like that are there in the league right now that you would consider to be premier shooters that are also highly athletic and at least, comp- at least competent <laughs> defenders, you know? So I, I played around on B-Ball Index the other day with um their, uh, gosh, I don't know, the the thing where you can, like, do scatter plots of different players. Yeah, well, I think that's what, with, they, I think that's yeah, what they call it, right? Scatter plots, yeah, yeah. 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 And then um, you can select the universe of players to include in the plot. So they have two categories that were relevant here. One is movement shooter, which isn't what you think. It's not J.J. Reddick, Kyle Korver, Ben Matherin, it's more Danny Green, like guys who move around the court and shoot from different places. Mm -hmm. And then they have off-screen shooters, which is like Corver, Terrence Ross, 
JJ right. Redick, Doug McDermott, um, and some guys, um, because it's they, they they go by player season. So some guys who you might not consider, like Jalen Brown, not this season but last season, was in the included among the movement shooters because he took so many three pointers. He wasn't coming off screens, but he was just taking three pointers from all over the court, relocating and just taking mm-hmm. threes. And he had some pull ups, but his diet of pull-up threes was not like Jason Tatum's. It was a lot more just like, it was very ambitious in its own way. It was just, it yeah. wasn't like cross between Hezzy threes. So um, like it was this year, which, you know, kudos to him. He's obviously doing his thing. So I, I took those players and I plotted all these different like three-point shot making, three-pointers made, O LeBron rating, which is like an offensive catch-all stat, D LeBron rating, um, putbacks because they didn't have dunks as a category. So I was like, all right, athletic guys get putbacks, right? So let me do that. Um, cuts per 75 possessions. So not volume, but like rate of cutting. And the first thing that stood out was like all the way in the corner on any of these graphs was just Clay Thompson kind of in his mm-hmm. own right. his own sphere of like <laughs> good at offense, good at defense, cuts, and also makes all the threes. And then mm-hmm. um, as you... As you looked at the guys who made the movement and off-screen shooters who made more threes, as you went to the right, as in like making more of them, the amount of athletic stuff that those guys did, again, except for Clay, like cuts and putbacks, decreases. Mm. So it's a really rare intersection. Um, there's a couple of guys who had players like Jalen was up there for one season as like an athletic guy who was taking threes for all around the court. Um, uh, Noel, uh, not nervous. Noel, Jalen Noel was up there for like, I did finishing versus three point shot making. And he was kind of in there. Um, Doug McDermott kind of was in the mix. Um, not quite the volume of the same, you know, obviously not clay, but like even other, three-point shooters but you know well we know he we, can cut as his yeah i'm sure him and kyle o'quinn had that connection the legendary two-man yes. game um exactly so yeah. uh i i really think like a doug mcdermott is kind of like the flourish outcome for for uh for ben and the, you know that's there's a reason that even though ben sucked at mid-range shooting and floaters he still shot over 50% from two and his true shooting percentage for his college career was still around 60 because the guy just got a zillion dunks and layups from his cuts and his transition. And those might be hard shots for other people, but when you got bounced like he does and you're built like he does, it ain't hard. It's only hard if a defender wants to try to get on the poster. And even then he's probably putting you on the poster. So, you know, you would think Terrence Ross would have, would have, popped a little bit more in those charts as another dunk contest guy with extreme shooting off screens ability, but he really didn't. And it's because even though he's super athletic, he doesn't really take twos that much. Um, And that happens sometimes, right? Like we saw that with J.R. Smith, except for his six man of the year season, where it's like, you, you kind of always wonder, like you could do a little bit more but maybe we don't want you to do more. And that's kind of the Terrence Ross situation, right? It's like, yeah, you can dunk, but you're not really, he doesn't have good cutting instincts. He's not the kind of player who runs, runs, runs and and drives a transition. If you get him the ball in transition, he'll be fine. But 
He's not one of those pace setter type guys running on the lanes and all that, like leaking early like Obi Toppin does, which is how Ben is. Ben is the kind of player who will speed up your team. Um, that's what he did at Arizona for two years. Um, the year, I mean, obviously the rosters change a lot, but like new coach plus Ben Matherin, they went from like 200th in pace to like top 20. Um, so he's very odd in that sense. I don't think there's a lot of guys at that intersection, which is why I've become a little more optimistic about him and less like, oh, he's just Canadian Terrence Ross, <laughs> which is what I thought before. So uh, maybe that's me uh, inhaling the copium, but I-, I could see why a front office would be intrigued in that intersection, especially this front office where they're like, we don't got no people who dunk on anybody except for Obi. We don't got no enough transition players. You know, we don't have anybody who shoots off movement except Grimes and, you know, even he doesn't, that's not really his thing. Fournier used to shoot off movement, but I don't know if he's got the physical ability to really turn on the jets and get around screens like that anymore. Um, yeah, it, as it sad actually as it takes is for more, me to anticipate. <laughs> yeah. It takes more athletic um, ability mm. to do stuff like that. Um, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's an aside, but it's like, you know, you, it's why like guys like Bertans and, um, Duncan Robinson when they're, cause they're not these super athletic, not super, uh, super athletic, not the right phrase, but like quick, uh, quick feet, able to get in and out of their movements, like Reddick mm. could or, or Corver, you know, those guys were good athletes. And when you're oh, yeah. bigger and you're a little more slow footed and you don't have that ability to, to generate that space and you're just, you're banking on making 30 foot jump shots all the time. It's, it's kind of hard to sustain that. Um, Long term, so if if Matherin's a guy that can, you know, because I don't know if he took a ton of like really deep threes. Like my, I'm thinking back to his mm-hmm. the, when I've watched him on film. A lot of his threes were, you know, reasonable yeah, shots. Yeah. They weren't like super deep threes. So I don't know if he's got that. If he, he had can a couple extend in the out. tournament, and like I mean, th- again, this is like small sample size stuff. Yeah, but he definitely had a couple of a couple of highlight ones from NBA range. <laughs> but that's that's good. That's good. And I think but he has that ability to generate space as a, a true off-screen uh movement shooter. So um he seems I'm like ask just Twitter right now if anybody has those numbers on deep threes cuz I don't know some people have those numbers. I don't know where they get them from. <laughs> I used to have synergy and that wasn't there. So clearly I don't have the coolest statistical software that is out there. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure someone has. There's a shot chart out there somewhere that's been plotted for Ben. Um, but he just seems like a clean fit um, for this roster in terms of what the team needs, and also for him um, in a in a spot that's going to maybe clean up some defensive stuff. Um, I don't. He seems like a guy that's a fine defensive player. I know there's. Um, he's not grind, he's, but he's fine. No, he's fine. He's fine. Right. I mean, guys like that with his athleticism, he seems pretty strong. And he's got decent enough length where he's not going to get abused on that. And he's not going to get, he's not going to be a huge steal or block guy, but you know, you could, we've seen that guys can get by just being solid positional defenders. And, um, I have Chip, no chip Jones had a cool video on, um, it wasn't on Matherin. It was on Keegan and he had a really useful way of describing Keegan's defense that I think kind of can apply to Matherin. And basically he he literally made a physical graphic where on one it was a spectrum and on one end it's like the improvising 
intuitively understanding what is happening defenders right like mm-hmm. you could pick your like Tybal or Vassell or you know college Halliburton um and then on the other end it's like guys who learn the scheme execute the scheme know the scheme but if another team is throwing curveballs at them then then it might get a little tricky and it, it'll take four or five, six years before they, they are capable of having internalized all these different looks that they'll encounter in the NBA. And that's where they mm-hmm. had Keegan there. And then you have guys in the middle who are like, you know, Marcus Smart or Draymond who are like capable of both of those things. And I feel like Ben, like the knocks on him are really, sometimes he falls asleep. Sometimes he, sometimes it is motor. Um, and like he'll just die on screens and shit like that. But I feel like if you just drill the fucking scheme into him, he'll be mostly fine because, and again, this is where Tibbs pays off, right? It's like, hey, if you die on the screen or fall asleep, like he's going to publicly shame you (laughs) until you do it like Obi. So, um, yeah, I don't think he would end up being a bad defender by any means. Um, It's like what we saw with Burks. Burks was not some plus defender before he got in the Knicks, but like, He's part of two great defenses, and all of a sudden, like, it became a thing. Like, Burks rarely dies on screen, so it was, like, kind of awesome. His screen navigation was great, and I was like, okay, this guy's 30, and, you know, he knows spring chicken, and he's doing this every play. So I I think Matherin would be fine in that respect. But, like, getting back to the initial thing about fit, I, I think what all three of them share is even though they have upside, different kinds of upside, the the fit of a... They can have decent usage, but not require the ball much because of their skill set. And that's That's really the sweet spot for a roster that just has a lot of guys who are talented. And it just makes it so easy because we only have, like, Fournier kind of needs the ball. I mean, he's a more high-end player, but even he adapted to life without the ball a lot, you know? And um Yes, if we have Burks, Fournier, and Grimes again, then it's like, all right, there's a lot of shooters who need touches. But assuming one of them is gone, I think you could slide in whatever rookie into the third of those kind of roles. And these guys will be great in terms of just spotting and attacking tilt defenses. And that's really all you need in the beginning. Yeah. And and you, as you said, I mean, it's one of the, there's going to have to be some movement on the current roster because I think that's the challenge when we're going, when you um, mentioned this topic and I'm trying to think it, think it over, it's really challenging to consider fit and how a process, how a team can put a prospect in the best possible position when we know there's changes to be happy to happen. And and I, no one knows kind of what that is. Is it on the margins? Is it small stuff? Is it big stuff? Is it a a trade for a star? Is it just trying to get Julius onto a, another roster and get what you can get? Is it saying bye to Burks or Rose or so I think we have to assume something is going to give because if you put there, there's, I don't know if there's a player that's going to be where the Knicks are going to be picking that I can say will get minutes on this current roster if there's not going to be a trade. So um, maybe I don't, is, I'm just looking down the guys that could be available at um, 
if it's not one of the centers, if you're letting Mitch go, but I don't know. So to, there's going to be the only guy is Johnny because he's, I just think Tibbs will just fall in love with him and he he's would the, yeah. like, you wouldn't have to worry about him on defense. Like you would some of the other guys. And then he brings something that we don't have. He's, he's the only one like Matherin and sharp and AJ are like, version they're like in the same like galaxy of fournier and and grimes as as when they're young as rookies right like maybe those guys all uh particularly aj and sharp get more on ball stuff later on but early on you know they're similarly styled to to the guys we have except the guys we have are older so this is what it is like older players tend to be better so but johnny is is different in the sense that you you think he can he can spot up, but also provide creation that um, no one really does. Like even Burks, for all his creation is pull up work. It's not really his his finishing issues are, are well documented. Uh, shooting higher from three than at the rim, which is a hell of a stat. Um, his pornies, so, yeah, pornies. <laughs> he's had bounce. <laughs> Yeah, people yeah, forget he came in as an athletic slasher yeah. who had shooting questions. I was looking back at some of his. Um, where did he go to? Col- did he go to Colorado? I'm just trying to. <laughs> I, I forget. I, I should. I um, should know that too. Um. Anyway, so his college tape, like he was a a bouncy dude, and if you read like kind yeah, of his Colorado. um pre Colorado, yeah. yeah. So if you read his pre draft stuff, I mean, his athleticism was one of the his calling cards. Um. So it's just it's hard to see him, you know, attack the rim in transition, and then inevitably just knees give out collapses to the floor, flailing arms. I mean, it's just, but you know, he's still doing it because he's a, he's a incredible shooter. And like you said, he's, he's managed to be a decent defensive player that has still has decent tools with length and um, pretty quick hands. So um, I really think the only downside, like I'm trying to think of the bad scenarios for those three shooter prospects we mentioned. And really the only thing I can think of, is what you said, which is literally they just don't play. Yeah. Like, I don't, but, if they're getting 15 minutes a game, what, how do you misuse them? Even like, even if you, cause even if you put them in the corner, like, my, my whole problem with putting Fournier in the corner is he isn't athletic enough to attack closeouts. He solved that miraculously by deciding, I'm going to invent like, fading siding spot up corner threes <laughs> but with all three of these guys you can trust them to pump and then possibly go dunk on someone or in aj's case like just manipulate his way to a floater or a mid-range or even the rim using his strength and handle so in a way that fournier couldn't so in the corner they would actually yeah be dynamic as far as corner guys go so like i, I don't know I, I, if you pick one of those guys, I don't know how you screw it up other than just gluing them to the bench. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I think all, all three of them, unless um, putting the injury stuff with AJ aside and mm-hmm. and all that, um, and I don't think he's going to be as much of a disaster on defense as is probably projected. Be, just because I think guys his size tend to be just be okay yeah. just by he's the fact that they rookie. have. Decent, yeah, and I and I'm just like a little. My initial, my it's it's one of those things where I've heard so many guys come out of college as quote unquote bad defenders, and then they get to the NBA and they learn defense. Mm-hmm. They they are held more accountable, and they become 
decent defenders. And, it, and usually if you have the requisite size and, and mm-hmm. strength and athleticism, you're going to be fine. And I think I would put AJ in that category. He's, he's not obviously going to be a, a shutdown, but you're going to build, you can build a defense or, you know, with him as part of a, a cog, you mentioned Burks. I mean, he, can he be Alec Burke as a, yeah. as a defender? I'm sure he can. Fournier has been part of several great defenses, even before the Knicks, like, This is not to say he wouldn't get hunted in the playoffs, but like, like when we talk about a prospect is bad at defense, especially a perimeter prospect, I wish people would clarify, like, are you saying like they would get hunted by Jason Tatum in the playoffs? In which case, yes, 90% probably would along with a bunch of other prospects. Exactly. Right. Like Mikhail Bridges could probably get hunted by, you know, Cam Johnson did get hunted by Jason Tatum because he's Jason Tatum. Right. So like, it's just like, I don't, I'm not super worried. Like maybe, maybe some of these guys turn into a player who truly doesn't like give a shit and just dies on screens and has no interest in learning the schemes. And is just pointing around and just being a general dumb, dumb, but like, it's really rare. And I'm just, while, while we were talking, I was just looking at the last couple of drafts and, um, you know, I'm looking at guys and, trying to see who who has become just a shitty defender and not to pick them out but it's usually guys who don't have the measurements like you said right like someone like Cole Anthony or Darius Garland like they have to lock in 100% to be neutral and they can do that especially if you put the right guys around them but like it's going to be a rough go of it cuz they're 6 feet tall like hmm. these guys Colin, Colin Sexton right Colin right yeah. exactly like these guys with the size like even Cam is a perfect example. Cam doesn't know what the fuck he's doing half the time, but he still ends up being like at probably I'm sure there's some Hawks people, especially analytics folks who are like, no, he's worse than a neutral. But like, I promise you like next year, Cam on the Knicks is not going to be some sort of like awful minus tire fire defender sinking our defense because it's very hard to do that when you have length and are on a good defense. The problem right. is the Hawks were not a good defense. They were Clint Capella and a bunch of dudes and DeAndre Hunter, who was not playing most of the time. So Mm. it is what it is. Um, I think that's most of the guys who are in the Knicks range. I mean, we could talk a little bit to close out about um, Jalen Williams and his meteoric rise, but it kind of, he's not quite the perimeter oriented prospect that math sharp and AJ are, but he's a good shooter and he's pretty versatile um, so I kind of put him in the similar boat in that, like, I, I don't think you want him to get, I, I would say one differentiator is he had so gifted in the pick and roll that you probably want him to get some reps on the ball. And if he was reduced to a corner shooter, um, he doesn't have quite the, he has bounce, but it, he doesn't have quite the like explosive quick twitchness that, you know, sharp or Matherin have, um, I think he loads up a little bit longer, which is why you don't see him posterize guys in games like that. So you definitely don't want like, I would be disappointed if we reduced him to corner guy. But aside from that, just plug him in as like your generic versatile bench wing and you're fucking fine as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> do you do you think the Knicks are going to be in contention to get back into the lottery? Or not or get, get back into the first round. So make their first round pick, make pick 11. And then do you think there's enough talent late in the first round? Or I don't know if you're 
I'm asking for a prediction, but would you like do you, is there enough talent deep in the first round where you hope that they can get back in there? Well, the talent in the first round is certainly there. It's just a matter of whether the Knicks can facilitate a situation to incorporate that talent because they got so many guys. Like, if they have a plan to do that, then you know we've seen this this team wheel and deal. So, like, yeah, I mean, mm. like this is a the the after the lottery. Like, this is a pretty deep draft. Oddly, where like I saw somebody. Um, I think it was uh. Coach Adam Spinella, boxing one on Twitter, he are he just back of the napkin like how many different players got quote unquote first round grades from draft people he considered reputable, and I he didn't list who or whatever, and I'm not really concerned with who, but the list was 56 players long, so Ooh. like, and and I get it right, like there's yeah. there's guys who are in my like who I'm ranking 40 who other po- people probably have 20 and vice versa. So the talents there is just, I'm skeptical about, you know, that's one of those things where it just thinking about like how to unfuck the roster, like trades and cap stuff. Like right. I'm bad at that. So I just leave that to other people. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, I, I hear that. Um, so last, I would love to ask you this then. So yeah. is there a guy that is, if you look at most of the mocks or, you know, maybe in the 15 to 20 range, 15 to 25, that could by draft night be a guy the Knicks would consider at 11. Yeah. Jalen, I think there's a chance that like, say they don't like Johnny for whatever reason. Um, you know, maybe they don't trust the efficiency. Maybe they're looking for more length and size. Um, and, you know, it's possible that Dyson Daniels is off the board. It's possible that, um, Sharp is off the board, AJ Griffin's off the board, Matherin's off the board, and they don't know what their situation is going to be like with Julius and Obi, so they decide we're not going to take Tari, we're not going to take Sohan. Um, and then it's a question of, like, can you trade down and get your guy? But if not, it's just, like, go get your guy. Like, I don't right. think... Like, I think if, if, if this front office was faced with the choice of, like, do we draft Mark Williams or do we reach a little bit for Jalen Williams? I think they would reach. I think they would just do it. Cause I, I don't think, I don't think they will take a center because of all the reasons we discussed. It just is a hard needle to thread unless they are willing to just do BPA and figure it out, mm-hmm. which maybe they would do, but I don't know this for some, for no evidence through with no evidence at all. This doesn't strike me as the type of front office who's going to just do best player available and figure it out if there's no if there's no real framework for them to play but that's not again that's not based on any any evidence um Brandon's another guy like they haven't been connected to him but like he kind of fits the mold of a lot of these other guys who we know they like except for he's younger so maybe he's in the mix and they reach and you know I'll be cool with that too yeah, he, he's young, definitely younger, but he uh, just his game feels like um, a package that you could see contributing pretty early on. Um, Hardy, maybe I don't know. Like on, again, same archetype. Like he's a shooter. Yeah. So he, he, the plug, the fit is there. It's just a question of how, like, where do you place him on the spectrum of of talent compared to the other guys? And there's some people who still have him, Lotto, right? Like I don't know, maybe we have him, Lotto. Fuck. I don't know. Like I, yeah, I, I mean, can get it. It's an eye of the beholder draft. Mm-hmm. And I think you've had um, guests on that have alluded to that. And it just feels that way. So it, that's what I think is the most exciting part, at least 
just as entertainment, you know, that draft, this draft night feels like from one of the first where I just have no idea after picks three or oh, yeah. uh, really after pick three in terms of what's going to happen. So I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, this has been a blast, by the way. <laughs> I've uh, I've really enjoyed this. Great. It's been yeah. super fun for me. And, and I agree. This, this is like even from the amateur Twitter perspective, like everybody's first round big board is completely different mm-hmm. and nobody knows who's going to do what. And that's without even incorporating trades. And this has the potential to be an explosive year in terms of teams wheeling and dealing. Like there's a couple of teams with consolidation potential, like the Hornets and the Spurs. And there's a couple of teams that are trying to win now, apparently like the Blazers and the Kings and maybe even the Pacers. So like who the hell knows, dude. But anyway, this has been a super fun pod. Um, DJ, tell the folks where they can find you. Yeah, uh, Twitter, Ace Zulo, A-C-E underscore Z-U-L-L-O. Um, you know, I just, I'm trying to get some things off the ground, but that primarily will where I'll be posting some videos, um, chatting up with uh, the guys at the Strickland. Um, you guys do great work. It's been um, a pleasure to see you guys grow, and the stuff you put out content-wise is just exquisite and i really i I just i can't get over the growth that you guys have had over the past uh couple of years so kudos to you guys man just to be a small little tiny teeny little part of this has been a great honor so thank you look man this is like for people who don't know dj is not he's not like he has a place where he writes once in a blue moon kind of like prez when it's not draft season but uh you know he's not like this is one of the things I like about the Strickland is the ability to connect with people on the internet who love the Knicks and spend an inordinate, possibly unhealthy amount of time thinking about it and um and just chop it up, right? Whether it's on the internet or, you know, this is, we got a bunch of podcasts we could do whatever the fuck we want with them. Like we can get other writers and beat writers and stuff, or we could just get other fans who are interested in doing this stuff, right? Like, yeah, I, I've told people in my in my real life world, like the podcasting and, and and the Strickland stuff has replaced in the pandemic happy hour basketball talk, really, right? Like I'm not right. a big phone call person, so I'm not out here like calling. I'll call my brother and stuff like and chop it up about the Knicks for a bit, but it's different. So this is kind of an outlet for that. And um, it, it's just such a fun community and uh, people like you, I think, uh, make it go. So thank you. And uh, it, it's the honor is also mine to have you. On I appreciate here. that. And everybody, uh, I really insist follow this dude. He's a smart guy. Lots of good content, especially if you're a draft nerd. And uh, that's that for this episode. We will catch you next time as we get closer and closer to draft day to D day. Oh, I'm going to start saying that. That's a good one. Um, yeah, there you go. Catch you guys later on episode 35 of Josh Trickland. It's your boy Prez. Catch me at underscore Presidente, and we are out.
Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. Yeah. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.